Amen. Well, we are excited this morning to continue our series, Conversations with God. And as we set up last week, it's a little bit different um, than what we normally would do. Uh, and so I want to kind of set the stage just quickly again. Uh, we started a series last week called Conversations with God. And uh, we've done this every couple of years, the same theme title, uh, but different topics that we cover. And so this morning we're continuing in that. Uh, and for the next five weeks, we want to pose the question is if you could sit down and have coffee with God, if you could have a conversation with him. And I know that we, and again, I pray that this week, You've had conversations with him. I pray that you've gotten in the word. And I don't mean audibly where he responds audibly to you. I know there are times when you're in the word and the word of God is speaking and the spirit is moving. It seems as though it could be audible. But we know that, that God is not speaking audibly. But what I mean in conversations is a chance to engage with him in his word. To engage with the word of God and to understand what maybe he's leading you in in some area. And so I pray that you've done that this week. But what we're talking about is if you could physically sit down with God and literally have a conversation with him. What types of things would you ask him? What would be the topics you would want to go over? What would be the conversations you would hope to have? And as we said last week, many people have shared that there would be multiple cups of coffee, if we're really being honest. It would be one of those things where it's like, no, you can't go yet. I got one more. Okay, I got one more, right? And so we covered that last week. And this morning, as we continue down this series, we're going to talk about this idea of changing the world. One of the questions that was submitted online is, is how can we change the world. And so we're going to unpack that this morning. If you could sit down with God and ask him directly, God, how can I change the world? And I, I love the, the basis of that question. As we've done last week, we're going to kind of take that question and we're going to kind of unpack that in different ways. And again, I, I'm not going to claim to have every possible application in an exhaustive measure, but I do want to give you just a scratching of the surface of how I believe based in God's word, how God would answer that question. And that's the other thing we have to emphasize is, is we're not going to man's opinion here. I don't want to tell you what I think God's answer would be. I want to go to God's word and say, this is what God's word says. That's why I believe this is what God's word, God's answer would be. Everything we do, not only as a church, but I pray as followers of Christ, is to get into the word of God. I'm always amazed that the amount of time we as Christians neglect the word of God. We have this amazing, blessed resource given to us to help us to know God more, to know him, and to know his call in our lives. And if we're being honest, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to nod your head. I just want you right there where you are. I want you to think over the last week, from last Sunday until today. Would you say, just between you and the Lord, that you've spent quality time in the word of God every single day? Or would you say that there was every day that you got with God and got in the word and was in prayer and you spent, I'm not talking about watching your, your watch and, oh, okay, there's 10 minutes. I'm good. I've checked the box. But just getting in the word of God and just enjoying his presence. And would you say as a follower of Christ that you've spent quality time every single day in God's word? If you're like most Christians, the answer would be sort of. There were some days and then there were some other days that I didn't do that. Things got going. The, the schedule got hectic. Maybe we didn't get to it first thing in the morning like we'd like to. And the day got going. And we're at the end of the day and we're just so tired and so whooped. We're just like, I just don't have the energy for this right now. And so we go, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And if you're like most Christians, that's the answer most of us would give. But I want to encourage you, let's not be like the 
most or the average Christian. Let's be followers of Christ who say, I desire to know him and spend time in his word. Not so I can impress other Christians with my knowledge. Not so I can impress the pastor when I tell him, oh yeah, I was in the Bible for three hours every day this week. But I just want to be with him and I'm just going to spend time with him. And so that's what we want to do over the next five weeks is we're just going to kind of have a conversation with God. So Hopefully, if you're new with us, I know I usually don't sit when I preach and teach on a Sunday morning. If you're on Wednesday night with us, I always sit down while I teach on Wednesday night, and it's awesome. I love it. But um, it's just a different type of service. And so I am going to sit down while I teach and preach this morning, so hopefully that doesn't offend you or bother you in any way. But I really want to kind of think about if we were to talk with God, what would that conversation look like? And if you were to ask him, how can I change the world? What would his answer be? And I want you to be thinking about your own thoughts on this. What scriptures come to your mind when you think about what his answer might be? Because beyond this morning, I want you to spend time this week answering that question for yourself, thinking through that for yourself. And as I always try to say, if you would like a copy of the notes, you can see me. I would love to give you a a copy of that. You can just have my outline. Um, You can reach out online or wherever, and uh, I can give that to you. So and I, I should say this also, um, if, I, if I doze off at any point this morning, if I get a little groggy this morning, uh, I was up late last night, um, and so some guys and I were doing something, and so we were kind of hanging out and all that, and so if I fall asleep at any point, um, just turn the lights off when you leave and just don't wake me up. It'll be fine. But, but it was well worth it. I mean, it was great. It was, it was an awesome night. So um, I won't give details because I don't want to, you know, call anyone out or anything. But I did tell them, I said, everything that happens when you invite the pastor over your house becomes potential material for a sermon illustration. So, um, but I did make the mistake of leaving my shoes on when I went in this person's house. And apparently I'm going to be at the altar this morning repenting for that. So, because um, I kept them on a little too long. So just pray for your pastor. He's rude like that. So, When we think about uh, this idea of changing the world, there's a couple things we have to address right away. And I think God would want our mindset here first. Uh, The first thing we have to understand when we talk about how can we as Christians change the world, the basis or the reason for that question is like what many of us have experienced is we look around the world today and we don't like some of the things that we see. Amen? I think most believers look at the world today and we see things that we just really dislike. We really are bothered by. Uh, We see violence. We see hatred. We see anger. We see all these things, these atrocities that are happening, people being taken advantage of, victimized. And we see these things happening, and we're just like, God, I don't like this. And I want to change the world. I want to change it to see more of you in the world. I want to see your glory on display. I want to see people come to know Christ. I want to see lives fuller and richer. I'm not talking about richer in finances. I mean richer in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we see these things. We don't like these things. But I want to give you a little bit of a a baseline for this question. The reality is, in this world, as a follower of Christ, you will never be fully satisfied. That we have to start there. Because when we ask the question, how do I change the world? It's almost with this under underscored assumption that, that if I could just make the world better, then I would enjoy my life more. If I could just make the world more like Jesus, then everything would be great. But the reality is, because you are a follower of Christ, because God's spirit dwells in you as a temple of God, because you have a relationship with him, you have a longing to see him face to face. God has put eternity in you And that longing to be with him will never be satisfied in this world. Not fully. 
We will always want more because we are created to have a relationship with him. And until we see him face to face, and by the way, in Christ, you will see him face to face. And you will fall before him and you will worship him and you will praise him as the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. And you have a relationship with him as your savior. And you will spend eternity with him in heaven. Not because you were good, not because you went to church, not because you wrote a big tithe check. Not because you got saved and then kept your salvation by doing this or not doing that. No, 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 no. You are saved by the grace of God through faith when you repented of your sins and trust in Christ. And you are kept in that salvation by the hand of God, by the indwelling Holy Spirit that he seals you into the day of redemption. You don't make yourself get saved. You don't keep yourself saved. It is all the work of God. It is all of God because it is all of grace. And so when we stand before him one day, we will be fully satisfied when we see our Savior face to face. We see the wounds that he took for you and I. We will be overjoyed and we will enter in. The Bible says the joy of the Lord. I love that phrase that we will always be joyful in the Lord for all of eternity. And so I set the stage with that because I think we have to realize, yes, And we're going to talk about it. We can see positive change in our world. We can affect change in our world by the grace of God. And we're going to unpack what that looks like. But we have to start with the reality. No matter how good our world gets, it will never satisfy you fully. Because only Christ can satisfy. And so let's start there. Bible says that God will create a new heaven and a new earth. Until that point, this earth will always fall short. Because it's broken in sin. Romans says that all of creation groans. There's this brokenness even in creation from Genesis 3 all the way forward. And so do we just quit? Do we just give up? Well, it'll never fully satisfy. It'll never be all that it can be. So maybe we should just quit. Maybe we should just get through. What a a horrible way to live as a follower of Christ to just get through. I've, I've spent days like that. Have you spent days like that where you just tried to get through? Look, I just want to endure. Right? I just want to put my head down and get through this day and get through this week, like get through my job, right? With as little interaction, with as little issues as possible, as little conflict as possible, right? It's like the dad coming home from work, walking through his living room and the children are just being children and being crazy. And he just puts his head down and thinks, if I don't make eye contact, maybe they won't see me. Just get through. It's like a minefield and you're, and you're crawling through, like just waiting, right? We, we live our lives this way sometimes. We just, we just get through. But man, when I read the word of God, I don't see just get through as a call from God in our lives. That as followers of Christ, we are called to make an impact for Christ in this world. So yes, the world as a whole will always fall short of what fully is desired in us. Paul says it this way. I want to be, I desire to be, I long to be with Jesus. He says, I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Amen. That being with Christ than being here is far better. And if we wake up in the morning and we don't think that, we need to do a little heart check. Need to do a little spiritual evaluation. But Paul says, no, no, there's not even a comparison. You can't even compare this to then. But, he says, it's better for you that I stay. What is he saying? It's God's will that I would be here so that I could communicate God's truth to you. I don't want to be here. (laughs) I want to be with Jesus. But God's call is that I'm here with you. And you know what? 
I'm content in all things, he says. I've learned to be content in all things. So he stayed. He desired to please God. And I believe that's a great mindset for us to understand that, yes, we're here. The world is going to fall short as a whole because we're fully desiring Christ. But while we're here, while God is graciously, as we talked about last week, giving you breath in your lungs as a gift, like, like you got up this morning and I got up a little later than I wanted to, but it was a gift. I got up a little groggier than I wanted to. Gift. If we see it that way, then we're going to realize Then, if my, my life is a gift and I'm supposed to invest in, in this world for him, how can I make an impact for Christ? One simple word I believe would be God's answer. How do I really change the world? How do I make an impact for Christ? And the answer, I believe, is very simple. Revival. Revival. And I want to look at a verse. Matthew chapter 9. So if you gather Bibles, and I hope that you do, either scroll there on your device or turn there in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 9. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, there are some Bibles in the seats there. You can just turn to page 678. Matthew chapter 9. Or if you're using a Bible provided, page 678. And I'm going to read just a, a couple of verses here. Very familiar verses. Um, and again, familiarity with God's word is a great blessing. But if we're not careful, it can be a great curse as well. Uh, because we, it, just, it doesn't affect us like it once did. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. Matthew 9 and verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then he saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is as plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Look back at verse 36. But when they saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. I know Pastor Greg prayed for us already, but let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we ask that, that as we read these words, that by the working of your Holy Spirit, you would apply them to our hearts and minds, that we would understand in a greater way that, yes, Lord, we long for, for heaven. We long to be with you. But I also know, Lord, that you've planted us here and placed us here for a purpose, for a reason. And I believe that reason is to live in a way that honors you, although we do it imperfectly. We need grace, but also to make you known to the world around us. And so I pray, Father, that we would see in the word this morning what your call is for us as believers, how we can affect change for Christ in our world. See our limitations, but also know that you are beyond limitation, that you can do all things. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom, understanding, as Pastor Greg alluded to, Lord, I pray that our mindsets, our traditions, our, uh, our cultural understandings would not influence or taint your word, but we would see with clarity the reality of your word, what, what we're called to do, what we're called to, to be, that you would be glorified. Father, I thank you for every single person in this room and those watching online. I pray that as only you can, by the work of your Holy Spirit, that you would make us aware of our sin the need of grace, the opportunity for repentance, and to receive Christ as Savior. If anyone's here, Lord, that has not done that, I pray they would stop trusting in religion 
or denominations or good works, and they would trust only in the personal work of Jesus Christ because there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved but the name Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you would do what you desire to do among us, that we would be, again, changed and conformed to the image of Christ. Be glorified now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage is very familiar and uh, fits even a little bit better with what Pastor Greg shared with us with the Wyumi experience and just the call for global missions and to see unreached people groups come to know Christ. And so what an amazing uh, way that God has kind of formed this together. And so we want to understand it in that context as well. Jesus was speaking about this call to missions, but I want to focus a little bit on the compassion of the Lord in this passage, but then also the surrender to the Lord of the harvest. That Jesus looked out into the world at that time and he said, I'm moved with compassion for these people. And not because they're these horrible, wretched sinners. He says, no, no, no. They're scattered and they faint because they don't have a shepherd. They don't have anyone to lead them and care for them and guide them. Now, what's interesting is culturally, these are Jewish people he's referring to primarily in context. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, these are supposed to be the under-shepherds, the ones that lead the people, and they follow God, and so the people follow them. And so, in a sense, the New Testament, right? I, as the pastor of this church, am considered an under-shepherd. I am not the shepherd. The shepherd is Jesus Christ. We trust in him. As I follow him and his leading in my life, as a pastor of this church, I lead our church in a prayerfully, a biblically-driven way. And so my duty, my job, and when I stand before God one day, I'm going to give an account for the words I spoke as pastor and the way I led and loved this church. I will tell you now, I fall horribly short of that. I am not a perfect pastor. I am an imperfect pastor. If you're looking for a church with a perfect pastor, it's been great having you. God bless you. Have a nice day. It's just not going to happen, okay? But when we call, understand this calling of the religious leaders in Matthew, Jesus was not only saying, I feel compassion for the people, but it was actually an anger and a frustration with the religious leaders. He says it's the blind leading the blind. You guys are just whitewashed tombs and, and full of dry bones. There's no life in you. And so he was actually kind of using this as a way to criticize and critique the religious leaders who weren't doing their job to lead the people. But he's saying the problem is they don't know the shepherd. They need to be connected to the shepherd. He says their hearts are ready. That's what he's saying. The harvest is plenteous. There's, there's plenty of people that are ready to turn to Christ, but someone has to just inform them, has to communicate the gospel to them. So he says to the disciples, here's what I want you to do, disciples, pray. I think we underestimate the power of prayer in our lives every single day. But he says, Pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. So that means, as I'm praying, Jesus, Lord of the harvest, Father, Lord of the harvest, would you send forth laborers? And then God begins the works in the hearts and minds of his people to call us to go into the fields. So not only do we see the compassion of Christ, but we need to see the surrender of the disciples. And they surrender to the Lord of the harvest. And what happens when we surrender to the Lord of the harvest and we see the world as scattered and broken and in need of a shepherd, we too will be filled with compassion. So how do we change our world? I believe the first thing we have to understand, and this is again just the introduction, so pray for your pastor. I believe we need to be in prayer, huge amounts of prayer, that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers then we as his laborers will surrender to his call and be compassionate to those around us. I think if we had to mark the 
the mood in our nation today. It's not compassion. It's a lot of anger, hatred, violence. And you know what concerns me the most is when I see professing believers in Jesus Christ, not marked with compassion and grace, but marked with the same anger and the same hatred and the same words. I'm pretty sure we looked at it last Sunday night, James 3, both bitter and sweet water can't come from the same source. Fresh and and bitter water can't come from the same source. Blessings and cursings can't proceed out of the same mouth. And as followers of Christ, we better watch our words because they're not words of compassion. They're words of judgment, anger, hatred, and violence. I'm just talking about speaking the truth. We speak the truth, but we speak the truth in love, Ephesians says. So is our lives as followers of Christ marked with compassion for the unsaved, for the unbelievers? Or are our lives and our words marked with the same hatred and anger that the world's words are marked with? Jesus says, if you pray this way, I believe one of the things that happens is our hearts will be conformed to the compassion that Christ has. By the way, we're not going to get into it, but Matthew chapter 10, you're going to see right after they prayed for the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers, Jesus sent them. Okay, thanks for praying. Go. But you know why he does that? Because we'll never go until we pray. You're not going to love your neighbor until you're praying for your neighbor. You're not going to love your coworker the way Jesus would have you love your coworker until you're praying for your coworker. Because when we pray, our hearts are soft and full of compassion, and now we see these people as Jesus sees them. Yes, in their sin and in need of a Savior, we speak truth. There's judgment and consequence for sin, but we go with compassion. And so how do we change the world? Well, the truth is we don't change the world. Only God can do that. How do we change the world? Only God can do that work. We don't change the world. Only God can do that. Yes, we can affect change in various ways. We can do this at the polling booth. And I always encourage you to vote biblically, vote morally, ethically, and biblically, and you'll never go wrong. I will never advocate one party over another because that's not my calling as a pastor. I will never advocate one candidate over another because that's not my call as a pastor. My call is to encourage you to think biblically and then allow that biblical influence to dictate how you raise your children, love your wife, work in your community, and yes, even how you use the right to vote. I'm not here to tell you it's this guy or that guy because, by the way, there's no Christian party. Amen? There's no Christian candidate that's perfect through and through that's always going to do it the right way. And I get it. I'll be honest. I'm getting a little tired of the commercials already. Amen? Can we just fast forward and be done? Because it's all a bunch of nonsense if you ask me. But that's a whole other sermon. But we'll get into this. So when you see this, understand this. It's God who affects change. We can affect change in some degrees by loving our neighbors as ourselves, serving those in our community, right? Being Christ-like. We can affect change in those people's lives. And it's awesome to do that. Don't get me wrong. It's not saying we don't do that. But as we're doing that, We're just merely vessels in the hands of God as he's doing this great work through us. Genuine, real, deep change only comes from a working of this Holy Spirit in someone's life. So what is the catalyst of change that God has said will be at work in the world today? It's the Spirit of God. And what does the Spirit of God work through? The Word of God and his church. So how does God change the world? How is he changing the world? Meaning, affecting change for the glory of God, for the cause of Christ. He does it through the word of God and through the church, the body of Christ. So as we surrender to the Lord of the harvest, he fills us with his compassion. And we go forth and we start affecting small changes. 
We love our neighbor instead of showing hatred. We serve that person instead of being bitter. And we, we do these things. We, we try to live biblically to affect change around us. And God, by his working, uses that to draw people to Christ. We, we let them see our good works that they may glorify our Father in heaven, Jesus said. And so that's what I mean. We don't change the world. Only God can do that. And God is doing that through the word of God and through his church. So really, how else could we say that? He's changing the world through us, but yet through gospel-centered revival. Through gospel-centered revival. Now, the word revival brings many things to our minds. Some of you grew up in churches where revival meant a week long of services that happened every night, right? With a speaker or an evangelist would come in and they would challenge the audience. And then every night you'd have an invitation and people would respond, okay? P.S., nothing wrong with that, okay? Some of you, revival, if you grew up in a church tradition that was more on the charismatic side of the evangelical churches, uh, revival to you means hours and hours and hours of a service with a lot of emotional response and music. The the ones that come up through that week-long service, some of you dreaded those things because you just felt like you got beat up every single night. You're just a horrible person every single night. The other side of it, some of you felt like you weren't being revived because You didn't have the same demonstrations of the spirit as somebody else in your group did. So revival, revival services, doing that, nothing wrong with that. But on the fringe of those things, we need to be guarded. Because sometimes it can become unbiblical in what we do. So what does revival really mean? I love this author's kind of simple definition of revival throughout church history. Revival has been marked by two key things. I'm going to read this quote, and then summarize it a little bit for you. Revival has been marked by two key things. One author said it this way, a general importation of new life, vigor, and power to those who are already of the number of God's people. So a general importation of new life, vigor, or power to those who are already a number of God's people, and a remarkable awakening and conversion of souls who have hitherto been careless and unbelieving. In other words, it consists in a new spiritual life imparted to the dead and a new spiritual life imparted to the living. So that's how one author defined church revival. When revivals happen throughout church history, those that don't know Christ come to know Christ in large amounts. And it's just this beautiful moving of God to just draw people to conversion. And those that know Christ have a a reawakening, if you will, an imparting of a new life, a new Vigor, a new energy in their life. I don't like to use the word energy. I don't mean like new age energy, but I mean just a, a more liveliness. They're just more excited for the things of God. Now, I would suggest that the believer that has that reinvigoration of those things, that's already there in Christ. They didn't need to go through a revival to get that. It was merely that for whatever reason in their life as a believer, things got apathetic, things got cold, things got indifferent. And in that move of God, God reopened our minds, if you will, to the newness of the life that we have in Christ. Maybe reactivated that faith that's in us already. It's already there. We don't need to get more of it. We have it, but we just let something else get in the way of that, if that makes sense. And so revival very clearly is where the gospel is central. People are coming to know Christ and believers are reawakened to what their life really can be. Yes, this world will not be perfect. 
And so God creates a new heaven and a new earth. But we are called to share Christ and his gospel with this world that he might start a revival in us and in the world. That is how we're going to see the world changed. It doesn't stop at, start at the top down. It starts at the bottom up. It starts with one-on-one conversations, relationships, and people coming to know Christ. And revival, I greatly believe, is a key way of understanding that. Now, what does revival look like? Because I know we want to use church words and church terms, and you leave here like, great, we're supposed to have revival. I have no idea what that means. So I want to give you a basic idea of what revival looks like or how revival can come or continue in our world today. Revival starts first in our hearts. It has to start in me before it starts somewhere else. Now, I'm not saying that God isn't working in someone else. I'm saying for my understanding, I have to be, as we said before, surrendered to the Lord of the harvest. The minute I make that choice to surrender, now revival begins within me. Because revival is not a once and done. It's something that can happen continuously in our lives as we allow ourselves to be given more over to the Spirit of God. When we, as we said last week, see our lives as a gift from him and in response love him with all of us, we will experience revival every day in our hearts and minds. We will discover the truth of the abundant life in Christ, John 10.10. The abundant life has nothing to do with what's in your checkbook, nothing to do with what's in your driveway, what you live in, right? It all has to do with the relationship we have in Christ, that I am content that whether I lose every material possession, but I have Jesus, I have enough. I have Jesus, I have the abundant life. Not because of my bank account, but because of my relationship with Jesus. And so we understand that. When we understand our life is a gift, we begin to surrender our lives to him, and now revival begins within us. And it's this awakening to just everything to do with him. And I'm, yes, emotion may come at times, but it's not emotion first. We, again, understand a greater passion for the things of Christ. A greater passion for the things of Christ. Here's what I would say. I want you to think right now. And we're going to be wrapping up here real soon. But I want you to think right now. Don't raise your hand. Don't answer out loud. But are there things in your Christian life that you see as have-tos? I have to go to church. I have to pray. I have to read the Bible. I have to share my faith. I have to do this. Because I'm a Christian, I have to do these things. When revival is breaking out in your heart and in your mind, those have-tos become want-tos. I want to read my Bible. I want to go to church. And then it's not only I want to, it's I can't wait to's. That's probably not good grammar, but I don't really care. It's I can't wait to be at church. Think about it. I can't wait to read the word of God. And if you are right now, and this is where you need to just respond to what God is doing. If you're sitting right now and I was like, that's not me. I can go days without reading the word of God and I'm fine. That is a dangerous place to be. Because the closer you get to that line, the closer you are to the enemy saying, great, come on over. Yep, now watch me sip this into your marriage and now I'll destroy your marriage. I'll destroy your family. I'll destroy your Christian influence. Come on over. Because I I believe it from the word of God. When we are apathetic to the things of God, we are apathetic to the voice of God moving in our lives and we are more open to the voice of our flesh and the enemy. It's not mysticism. It's not any magic formula. It's pretty basic logic. If I give myself to the word of God, as God calls me to, I will see a deeper passion for the things of God. But when I have in ministry over the many years, so many believers I've met, that something simple as gathering for a church service, oh man, 
I know I need to be there. No, you don't. No, you should want to be here. This isn't about getting you to come to church because that's the other thing. So many pastors will say something like that and they'll go, well, I'm not saying. No, no, it's a, it's a, I can't wait to. And if you can show me in scripture where there's believers that consistently encourage the lack of involvement with the local church, I, I will then change my view on this, but I can't find it in scripture. In fact, I find the opposite. They met every day. But there are churches right now in our county, in our community, in our city that will not have a Sunday evening service, that will not have a Wednesday evening service, and not because they don't have things to teach, it's because the people stopped showing up. And they went, you know what? Never mind. What's the point of having it? There's only two people coming. Now, what's the biblical answer? No, we have service if God has led us to have a service because those two people matter. And we'll teach and preach at any service we have. Now, again, we don't always have Sunday night. I understand that, those things. I'm talking as a principle. There are pastors that I've talked with that are in tears because they desire to teach the word of God, but nobody shows up. Why? Because there's a lack of a depth and the passion for the things of God. And what's the solution? Not guilt, not shame, not a conference or a seminar or a book on seven ways to grow your church. No, no, no. It's individual believers saying revival starts here. And it starts with time in this and a deeper passion for the things of God. Here's the reality. You will always make time for the things you want to make time for. And if Jesus is a priority, if growing in Christ is a priority, then you will make time for the things that grow you in those things. We need to move on. Revival starts in our hearts and in our minds. Because again, Revival at its core is not primarily emotional, it's theological. Revival at its core is not primarily emotional, it's theological. The more I understand who God is, the more I will give myself to him. So as we do that, that overflows into others and their lives. I want to go to one more passage. We're short on time, but we'll go to Mark. Mark chapter 5. So if you're in Matthew, it's the next gospel book you're going to come to. Mark chapter 5 and verse 18. Now, it's a crazy story. Many of you know this story, but we're not going to read it for time's sake, all of it. But just look at verse 18, uh, Mark five eighteen. This is the story of Jesus casting out a demon uh, out of the individual we know as Legion. But he goes on to say this in verse 18. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed, so the man that had the demons, that was, the demons were cast out, possessed with the devil, prayed him that he might be with him. So the man that was possessed is now free of the demons in his right mind. Jesus gets in the ship to leave. This man says, I've got one desire. Just let me be with you. I love that. When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, you just want to be with him. He goes on to say this in verse 19. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not. Can you imagine that? Jesus, can I just go with you? No. What? What about the whole follow me thing? I'm supposed to follow you. I want to follow you. He says, no, you're not going with me. Look at what he says in verse 19. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee and hath had, what's the word? Compassion on thee. Man, Jesus showed compassion Now, what's interesting, if you go over to Mark chapter 8, we're going to look at something here in just a moment. But but again, this man wanted to follow Christ. Jesus says, no, go home. 
Just go home and be with your friends and tell them that God has had compassion on you. Now, in Mark chapter 8, we read an interesting opening verse here. It says in verse eight, chapter 8, verse 1, In those, those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, but many of you have a title above chapter 8. This is the feeding of the 4,000. Now, where is this taking place? Great question. So glad you asked. Go back to chapter 7 and look at verse uh, 31. Talks about where Jesus has been, where he's going. And he says, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. Now, what's interesting is this man, Legion, most believe he went home to Decapolis. That was the region that he was from, primarily a Gentile region. Jesus had not traveled there. Therefore, the crowds gathered knowing who he was, but not because he had come and preached there. Many believe Legion, the man we call Legion, whose name we don't even really know, went home to Decapolis and was so passionate in his sharing of the compassion of Christ on him that thousands of people either were converted to an understanding of who Jesus was or wanted to know more about this. Jesus shows up. Here's the 4,000. Most people accredit that gathering to the man that went home and told his friends and just said, Jesus was compassionate to me and he can be compassionate to you. I I love seeing that unfold because it it shows us that, yes, the world's never going to be perfect. There's always going to be issues. We're always going to see sin and brokenness and, and all these things. But when we surrender to the Lord of the harvest and we just let him start revival in us, that revival will overflow into others' lives. Some will get it. Some will not. And I want to kind of wrap up with a couple questions here. Are you seeking him daily? Not because you have to, but because you want to. Are you desiring revival in your heart daily? Are you confessing sin, repenting of sin, turning and trusting in grace and asking Jesus to grow you into the image of Christ? Do you feel like Christian disciplines like studying the word and gathering for worship are have-tos and chores? Or do you long to be with God's people? Do you desire it more than anything else to just get in the word of God? Now, I know life is life. We're all busy. I'm not saying things don't come up. That happens. But is there a longing? It may not always come to be. You may not be able to be there. But do you desire it? Do you long for it? Revival revival begins in our hearts first. And then we will see our neighbors and others in our communities come to Christ, which will affect the only lasting change in our world. We may not be able to change the globe, but you can change your world. You can change your area of influence by just sharing Jesus. I want to close with one important application, and it's one that I hope, and I appreciate your your grace as we've gone long. I want to share one application that I pray will alleviate maybe a burden that you've carried as a follower of Christ. Because we hear messages like this, and some of us think, if I just was better, if I was just a better Christian, then my world would change. If I just did this better, Again, putting the results on us is not the solution. It's not about being, quote, a better Christian. It's just about enjoying Jesus. And then when he gives you opportunity, take it to share Christ. But you will share Christ. You will love Jesus. You will have a passion for the things of God. And you will share that. And people will shoot you down, will mock you and ridicule you and never believe. Others will, but others won't. So what do we do? We don't let it stop us. Because you don't change them, he does. 
You don't convert anyone. It is up to them to respond to the call of the gospel. I see and hear many Christians that are carrying the weight and the burden of the results. And that is not for you to carry. Stop doing that to yourself. People read the verse from Chronicles. It says, if, if my people will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. And I've seen that verse used. And let me just give you a little bit of a heads up. We're using it out of context if we're applying it to America. That verse has nothing to do with America. It has everything to do with the people of Israel coming out of captivity. And God was calling them back to the covenant of the law in Deuteronomy 28. And he was saying, if you will do these things, I will heal the land. Now, in principle, we as believers, we need to humble ourselves. We need to turn from any wicked ways. We do need to pray that God will heal our land. But let's stop Americanizing the word of God. It's not, it's not America. And I, there's other Baptist sold out Jesus loving pastors that will fight me on this. And I, I don't engage in that, but I'm just telling you, if you look at the word of God in context, it's, it's not what it's saying. So what's the solution? We do allow God to revive our hearts and minds. We love him and we share his gospel. And then Jesus gives them the opportunity to respond or decline. And I believe that, yes, as Christians rise up and focus on the things of God, we will see a form of healing in our land. But as I said already, it's never going to be perfect because this isn't our home. We need to look at the now with the then mindset. First Peter talks about this. We go through the sufferings of now thinking about, oh, but then one day I'll be with him. And these sufferings mean nothing. So how do we get through? How do we endure? We don't just get through. We focus on the then and we live in the now for the glory of God. Let's pray and ask God to give us wisdom in this. God, I thank you so much for your people. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time that we've gathered, Lord, and I thank you for the patience of these people, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just do what only you can do. Lord, I pray that our desire for you will go deeper than surface Sunday morning that it will be something that has weight and substance to it, that we would genuinely be hungry for the things of God. And so, Lord, in whatever way you need to apply this, I pray that you would do so by the working of your spirit to your glory. Father, we thank you again for these that are here. I pray if anyone doesn't know you as their Savior, that they would trust in you this morning as we have a time of invitation, Lord, that they would respond. Lord, I pray for the one or maybe more that are here that have been trying to carry the work of the results. They think it's up to them, even though they don't really say it out loud, to change this person or to affect change over here. And I pray that they would realize that some plant, some water, but you give the increase. So help us to do what we can do. Let's be diligent in that, Lord. We need to work hard doing what we can do. But Lord, we don't have anything to do with the results. So I pray that you would do a work there as only you can that you would give us wisdom and guidance, alleviate that burden, help us to love you more, not because that's what keeps our salvation, but just as a response, a reaction to how much you love us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Father, again, thank you for this morning. And I pray that you would use these words to help someone here today to either trust you more or to live in a way that would honor you in some way or to share their faith or whatever it is, Lord, that you would be glorified. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As we're led in a song of invitation, would you respond this morning?
to whatever God is doing, would you come and pray? If you need to know Christ, would you come? Whatever God is doing, would you respond as we spend this time in worship this morning?